0: Now I've noticed, maybe not so much anymore in our church, even though I notice it sometimes here, but wherever I go in the world, when I introduce the word righteousness in my teaching, and I often do, I refer to it pretty well every Sunday, I, I sense intimidation come upon people. People go quiet. Uh, people who are maybe, you know, looking very happy and joyous. They kind of when I say righteousness. I can just feel like, whoa, it's just people go very quiet because, and I wondered why is that? Because there's something about that word that frightens people, that scares people, make make people feel inferior. Or maybe religion has so affected people and contaminated people that when they hear the word righteousness they always become very self focused and think oh yes I I need more of that oh yes I should work harder at being righteous oh yes I know that's an area where I fall short instead of seeing the word righteousness as an extremely positive word it is a gift it is something God has given to us simply by faith. We are righteous and God has imputed his righteousness to us. And you see, if we don't understand that, then we will never be able to reign in life over the temptations and struggles and obstacles that come in all of our lives. Another thing that will happen is that we will not be very bold to move in faith because every time there's an opportunity to take a step of faith, Condemnation and condescension will attack us. And so we'll think, oh, I'm not the right one. I'm not worthy. I I, I shouldn't do that. And so we will not be able to move in boldness. And then thirdly, we will not be able to be mature believers. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You know, a baby, uh, we we, we look at a little baby, we love little babies and we have, Opening a new room for the babies here, you know, we we love the babies. But babies don't contribute. There's nothing about a baby that contributes to society. Other than joy, I suppose that would be one contribution, but they don't pay for their own food, they don't even feed themselves. They don't dress themselves, never mind paying for their own clothes. They, they, are, they are really helpless. So everything a baby receives is, is just, you know, that they don't respond. But then when, when somebody grows up, then they begin to take responsibility. And here it says that people who remain simply babies, and it's beautiful to be a baby. We were all babies at one time. And so there's not the wrong being a baby, but staying a baby forever, that might be a little bit awkward, see? And so God wants us to mature, and how do we mature? By being skilled in the word of righteousness. And so even though we mention it, but I thought today, I want to take a little bit more time to help us be skilled in the word of righteousness, because that will give us the power to deal with life's challenges and overcome. First of all, the righteousness of God is revealed in what we call the gospel. It says in Romans 1 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel reveals God's righteousness, meaning that God, there's a rightness about God. Sometimes people say, well, you know, it seems like in the old Testament, God was very harsh Dealing with sin and then he becomes kind of like a softy in the New Testament. But you know, God is the same God all the way through from the beginning of time till today. And God has always hated what sin and separation does to people. When we separate ourselves from God, we become alienated. Shame and guilt fills our heart and we start to react towards others in a negative way. And God has always hated that. Uh, but but, but what, what Jesus shows us is that God deals with our unrighteousness. He dealt with it. God didn't say, oh, it's okay. No, he says, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with all unrighteousness by one man. And on one day that I have appointed, I'm going to do the whole thing once for everyone. One man, one day, one time for everyone. Oh, praise God. So so the gospel reveals that God took everything very serious. So when you preach God's grace, that means you take these things very serious. The fact that God had to send Jesus to, to, to show us what God is like. He is God from God to show us God. And then Jesus would identify with the human situation, take our sin and die. And after he had died, he would unravel death itself. And defeated once for all so that we would know that evil will not triumph, but love wins in the end. Uh, In Jesus and in us. Oh, give Jesus praise for that. And, and, And so what Jesus did has become our righteousness. Of him we are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Jesus has become for us righteousness. That's why all the praise goes to him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was to make us into something that we were not. We were not righteous, but by his death, he has made us righteous. And so that when we are created in Christ Jesus, it says in Ephesians 4, the new man, the new person that you are on the inside that has this righteous nature, you were created according to God in true righteousness. So you have received God's true righteousness in you. Here's an interesting thought. God only accepts one righteousness, his own. You know... It's actually an insult to God to say, well, I'm going to try to become righteous. Because you really have to bring God down to your level to think that somehow if if I do more, if I worship more, if I give more, if I fast more, I'll be righteous enough. You're really humanizing God. You're bringing God down to a level that, you know, if I just try enough and I'm a little better than everybody else, that'll be good enough. You see, that's why the Bible says that our righteousness our righteousness, self-perpetuated righteous religious deeds are like filthy rags. Think about that. It doesn't say that our sins are filthy. Well, I suppose it doesn't need to say that. We can figure that out for ourselves. But our attempt at righteousness uh, is filthy. When we say, oh, God, look at me. I've done this. I've done that. I'm good enough now. No, that, that, that brings God down to our level. God can only accept one righteousness. That's his own. The only righteousness good enough to God is Jesus' righteousness. It, it doesn't matter what you do. You could burn your body. You could do whatever people do to be holy. But, but it will never be acceptable to God because God accepts only the perfect righteousness. And there's no such a thing as 99% righteous. If you're 99% righteous, you're not righteous. Because that 1% contaminates the whole thing. And see, sometimes we don't understand the terribleness of what Adam did. You know, Adam in the Garden of Eden, you know, people talk about this apple. They have this picture of an apple and, and, you know, he took the apple. and said, what's the wrong taking an apple? Everybody's probably stolen an apple once in their lifetime. Come on now, don't look at me so innocently. I was seven years old in my grandpa's store. I stole snuff. You know what snuff is? Put it here. Very little. And I spit for an hour afterwards. And so that cured me. I never tried it again. But it was just something in me. They wanted to steal something. So everybody take it. little apple. You say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal was... If it was an apple, I don't think it was. The Hebrew scholars think it was a fig, you know, that. but let's not argue. Apple, pear, cherries, I don't know what it was, cucumbers, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. That's symbolic. What really happened, what makes it terrible is the attitude of Adam that said, I'm going to make it on my own. In fact, I will do better on my own than in the love relationship I have with God because I will lift myself on my own to become like God. So Adam alienated himself. And so we have this, we have this problem. Man has chosen to go his own way and God desires to fellowship with us at the same time. They seem like irreconcilable differences. But God solved that by sending Jesus Christ in sinful flesh, coming like a, like, a, like a human being, taking our sin and shame and unraveling all the punishment of sin, which is death, and to make us saints. You know, All Saints Day is coming up. How are you going to celebrate All Saints Day? Now, I know, and we think of people who have passed on, and I think it's good to honor those. I think it's good that we honor those. Particularly when this custom started after World War I when so many people died and I, I want to encourage you, if you see a, a veteran, you, you go up and say something nice to that person. You know, they saw some terrible things. Anybody who's been in war has seen terrible things. And, 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 and so we, we are grateful for that. And so we, 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 we're not minimizing that. But I'm teaching now uh, the, the Bible. You are called a saint. You are called faultless and blameless. On what basis could such a statement be made about you? Jesus is the reason why God calls us saints and just and righteous and without spot or wrinkle. That's right, because of Jesus. You see, his death has made us righteous. Many people, it still happens in our church, they talk and they say, Well, you know, one day when I get to the other side, When I cross the River Jordan, when I get to the other side, I just believe that I'm going to stand there righteous. I believe when I get to the other side that everything is going to be all right, implying that everything is not all right now. But the fact is you are never going to be more righteous than you are right now. There's nothing about your death that somehow at that moment of death, God is going to make you into something you are not now. Because our faith is not in our death. Our faith is in Jesus' death. Our faith is in his death, what his death has done for us. It has made us acceptable. When you know you're righteous, you know you're acceptable. Ephesians talks about this, how we are holy, blameless, and accepted in the beloved. Praise God. The devil had all these condemning words and thoughts against us. But it says in Colossians that Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that were against us, which were contrary to us, and he has taken them out of the way, nailed them to the cross, and disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What does that mean? That when the devil comes knocking on your door... And it's not just the devil that brings condemnation. Frankly, we do a good job of it ourselves. But the devil is, the word Satan means accuser. But some people are so good at it, they don't need the devil. Uh, they know about accusation. Anyhow, they walk around always accusing themselves. And oh, oohing and aahing. Oh, if only this and if only that. And, so, and sometimes others help you. So it can come from yourself. It can come from other life's challenges. But the devil is also the accuser. So you can say... If those accusing words come against you, you can say, "Devil, you got the wrong address. You got the wrong address. That person you are accusing doesn't live here. Lives maybe somewhere else in this town. We don't know, but but he doesn't live here. Here lives a person who has been declared righteous with the righteousness of God. You, you, you see." The accuser likes to tackle people. He doesn't want to tackle Jesus. He wants to tackle people. And and what it said here is that after Jesus took all the requirements that were against us, where we were falling short and nailed them to the cross in one fell swoop, he not only did that, but he took all the ammunition that principalities and powers had against us. So really they are firing blanks. There are no bullets in the pistol. Pistol still looks very intimidating. It looks very dangerous. Uh, And the devil tries to pull that trigger on you. And other people try to pull that trigger. But there are no bullets in them because Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He took their ammunition. How? By imparting his righteousness into you. Oh, I'm giving you lots of scripture verses here, but I'm hurrying because I want to tell you about India in just a moment. But you're going to see how this ties in here. He says, "And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight." Say that I'm holy, I'm holy. blameless. Amen. And without reproach, it doesn't say in your mama's sight, it doesn't say in the sight of society, because some of you may have all kinds of things in the sight of society that they want to blame you for, but in his sight, in the sight above all sights, in the one whose sight really matters, this makes you bold as a lion. You see, the wicked flee and nobody is chasing them. They just always imagine, oh, it's getting bad. Oh, it's so terrible out there. Oh, I don't think I can make it. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Because I believe and I have accepted that what God says about me is true. And it's now. It's not in the future somewhere. No, he has declared me holy and blameless and above reproach. And the only condition is to continue in the gospel. Continue. But what is the gospel? It is good news. Continue in the gospel. What does that mean? Continue simply believing what God says about you is true. You Continue to believe the good news. I am because of Jesus Christ who God says I really am. So I continue just like when I first received Christ. I believe what God says about me is true. That's what it means to continue in the gospel. You don't graduate from the gospel and go on to some other, you know, deeper thing. There is nothing deeper than the gospel. And, and then this righteous nature make us not only act boldly, but we speak boldly. You know, the book of Romans, when Paul has given this great teaching about who we are in Christ, then he says, exclaims in verse 31, he says, what shall we say to these things? Considering this enormity, considering this huge thing that God has made us righteous. What, what, what how are we supposed to talk now? What are we supposed to say now? Well, you know, how are we supposed to express ourselves? And then he, 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 he answers, he says, we're going to say like this, if God be for us, who can be against us? <laughs> now, that, that means your job. That means your education. That means how you look at yourself. It means how you look at others. It means how we pray. It means how we do business. It means how we live life. We say, if God be for us, and he has already proven now for almost eight chapters that God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? So it's not just me, it's me and Jesus coming down the road. It's not just me approaching this, but it's Jesus and me and his nature is in me. This will empower you in every area of life. It will help you to be free from intimidation and listening to all those negative voices. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? All things. That's how you talk. You say, all things are mine. All things are mine all things that pertain to life and godliness have been given to me through the knowledge of jesus christ all things things past things present things to come death or life inventions that aren't invented yet and the ones that already are they are all mine everything is mine because the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof and all the people that live in it so all things are mine that's how we talk this is, this is the kind of life that propels people to say, you know, God is great inside of me. And then he says, he continues, how shall we speak to these things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? We can say, who's going to condemn God's elect? Oh, there are many options. You know, you say who? Well, lots of people try. Maybe you try yourself again. There, you know. You say I, I, I'm playing a charge against myself, but then it says it is God who justifies. Justify. You remember that means to make everything right. It's God who makes everything right. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and who could have condemned? He could have condemned that woman caught in the act of adultery. He was the only one who could have condemned her when Jesus says, who has condemned you? Only one was eligible. But he didn't. He died and furthermore is also risen and is at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for us. So he has made it right and he's praying for us. Everybody say, Jesus is praying for me. (laughs) Hallelujah. So you can be bold. You be, don't talk that negative talk. Don't go around speaking like you had not become a new creation in Christ. Don't, don't act and think and meditate as if this doesn't matter. Believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Believe that. And you'll approach your job interview different. You will approach that opportunity different. Because you'll have that awareness. God is with me now. And his nature is in me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I got one more scripture, and then I'm going to tell you why I really got blessed to preach this today. You know, some people say, oh, this is for some other time later on. I even hear people say like this. This became like a phrase within the evangelical church. They would say, well, one day Jesus is coming back for his church without spot or wrinkle. Obviously, he can't come back yet. He has to wait till the church is without spot and wrinkle. But what do you think? When Jesus comes back, he's going to come just for you and your cousins? (laughs) You know, as far as humanly speaking, I expect. I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe Jesus is coming back. But I think, from a human perspective, there's going to be so many millions of people saved, people who just got off of all kinds of addictions and habits, and they're not going to all be perfect from a human definition of perfection. If you're waiting for that, you're not going to make it yourself. Come to think about it, forget about you and your cousins, you're not going to make it either. So Jesus is coming back for nobody. So if you're waiting for that, no, that's not the teaching of the Bible. So let me read it to you here. It says, so the next time somebody says, oh, Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And we're not there yet. How are we not there yet? You are as free from spot and wrinkles now as you'll ever be. Because it's based on God's view of you, not of some achievement that you're going to reach some level, some standard where you're going to try to appear spotless to everybody. And inside, it's going to be like a rotten apple. You know, you go to the store, you buy these nice red apples, and then you bite into them, it's all mush inside. Have you ever had one of those apples? And you're debating, should I bring them back to the store, is it worth the drive, you know? Well, see, see, that's what religion does. It makes you look all nice and red and polished. The cheeks are all polished on the outside, but inside it's all mush. But thank God, God makes you new on the inside. The apple tastes good on the inside. So let me read this to you. Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for her. When? At the cross. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. That he, he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. That is describing what the church is like subsequent before God in his sight. Subsequent to Jesus' death and resurrection. Praise God. You, you know, when you believe this religions and all of its chains come off of you. Now, I'm not saying that you're without reproach in the sight of all the people. But if we can start and say, I am without reproach before God, such power comes from that that you can actually begin to live who you really are. If anybody thinks that this kind of preaching is somehow to make an excuse for unrighteous behavior, you completely missed the boat. No, this is about that nothing can cause us to do right, however hard we try, except for the realization of what's happened on the inside, and we live life from the inside out. Now, now, so I was meditating, I had so many things I wanted to preach to you today. And then this came alive to me. I know it's kind of a simple message, but it needs to be talked about again and again, that we be skilled in the word of righteousness. And I thought of this week that we have spent, or a little bit more than a week, in India. And I thought to myself, God gave me victories 30 years ago, and I didn't understand fully what I preach today. But it sure is a lot easier to face life's challenges when you know you are righteous. So people say to me, how was your trip to India? Fine. Well, you know, you can't explain it. Oh, how was the weather? I don't really know. <laughs> you know, three days before we arrived, the trouble started. Now, India is a beautiful country. I've been to about 35 cities there. But there's probably two cities in India that are the most impossible as far as a gospel outreach. One of them is the city of Benares. We haven't been there yet. Another one is the city of Allahabad, where we were. Now, Allahabad is a famous holy site of the Hindu religion. And they have a special festival every year, but it is extra big every 12th year. So that Associated Press reported that in February of 2013, 40 million uh, devotees came to Allahabad to bathe at the confluence of three rivers. But it's not really three, it's only two, because one is an invisible river i can't explain that right now ganges yamuna those are the visible rivers then you have saraswati the invisible river it's just going deep we also have an invisible river it's flowing from my innermost being but see so, so so there's connection points and so people come there from all over the world certainly all over india to bathe in this confluence where these rivers meet in the belief that this is the surest and best guarantee for the forgiveness of sins as you can imagine very much like it was in Ephesus 2,000 years ago where they worshiped Diana that the city's economy is also tied to this you can imagine if you have 40 million visitors it's good for business are you with me? and so this is, this is all that but we like to go with the gospel to places that don't seem so easy and where others have never gone. It's a large city, about 1.5, eight, 1.8 million people in the city itself and in the district, many more. No one has ever conducted an outdoor gospel campaign there because it just is too difficult. And so there were strong forces... And so uh, we had tremendous, this is from where we were last week, so it, it looks like a nice campaign. Let me tell you, the people who arrived at this meeting, every road was blocked by demonstrators. Every road leading to this campaign round was blocked by demonstrators. Chanting all kinds of nice things about yours truly, Peter Youngren. Chanting all kinds of things that I was a deceiver, I was bringing superstition, I should be banned, I should be this, I should be that. So they had to get through this crowd to get there. Then once they got to the ground, there were police everywhere that had promised to help us, but they were also blocking people from entering the ground. So there was two huge blockages. So when you see that, go back to the last picture, when you see that last picture there, that crowd, it probably could have been ten times as big, but think about that. And everybody in the city knew this. We probably had, conservatively in the last seven days, over 100 newspaper articles. All the major newspapers of India was carrying this these kind of here, I mean this is just uh, you see there uh, all these kind of articles in, in, in English papers uh, and, and all kinds of things alright that's not because people aren't listening anymore so you see the demonstrators, people are being hauled off, people, it, it was all that going on all the time and of course I told them I'm not there to convert people because that's above my pay grade, I'm not in the conversion business, only Jesus can do that I'm just a spiritual farmer that plants spiritual seeds, so I stuck to my story this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. And so all this is going on. Every day when we wake up, Tyna and I will go and look under our hotel door. They put the newspaper, and we say, what, what is, let's see what they're writing about us today. And so it went day by day, day by day. Then we go for breakfast, and they have all the newspapers, and we just turned, you know, we look at them right away. All these reports, and people were saying all these terrible things, and still the crowds were coming. Still, so the crowds were coming. So in that situation, you know, I know it sounds kind of nice being here on a Sunday morning telling you this, but you should come and live it, you know, and then it's a little different. And, and so with all of that, uh, there was such fear in the city. So, for example, on Saturday, a week ago yesterday, uh, these protesters, which are a militant group within the Hindu religion, these protesters, they called for a ban of every store in the city. They call for every shopkeeper to close the store for a whole day to protest our presence there. I don't know if you've ever had a whole city closed down for you, but they, they, they failed. They failed. They didn't manage to do that. I can say uh, the committee made a nice shirt for me. It had a, went to a tailor and had a shirt made for me, and the poor tailor... Tailor shop didn't know he was making it for me when they picked up the shirt. They told him, This is for, this is for Peter Younggren, the one you read about in the paper. So the poor guy got so scared, a Hindu man, he closed his shop for three days, you see, because he thought they're going to have suicide bombers come to his store if they knew he made a shirt for me. So, with that kind of thing going on, could the question come, Is God really with me here? Now, I know I, I can read the Bible. I understand this was Paul, basically. We had well, on the two steep. The day before our festival started, I was charged in court. I forget what the crime was now. I've had so many court cases, I can't keep track of them. But we were acquitted in court two days later. It is still now in the Supreme Court of India. It's been referred to the Supreme Court of India to determine whether I was converting people or I was not. you know, And whether I was practicing medicine without a license or whether I was what I was doing. You see, so anyhow, so all that is going on now with that going on. If you're insecure, maybe you have your own trouble. How many got your own trouble? So I'm just telling you our trouble here now. How many got, come on, let me see. How many got your own trouble? Don't don't show any more of those pictures now. That's my trouble uh, when you think about your trouble. How many got some problem of your own? All right. Could it happen when problems come that you begin to doubt, that you begin to question? Could it come and say, you know, I really don't enjoy this. I mean, the only time I enjoy what I'm describing to you is after it's over. I don't enjoy living through it. But thank God, when we arrived home, I said, I'm enjoying it. Here I am with a guru. Are you showing all this stuff? He's just showing me pictures here now. All right, well, show them. Now, don't, after that, I'm not going to say nothing. Here we are with a nice guru. Show the one with Tina and the guru, too. No. There she is. Look at that. <laughs> Can you imagine? Wow. Anyhow, we had lots of friends. Now, no more pictures now. Cut it out, Greg. Here. Cut it out here. Okay. Everybody, take them down. That's good. Are you still here? And I just have to give you my own testimony. I thank God that he has allowed me to become more skilled in the word of righteousness. Never for a moment did I question First of all, the rightness of what we were doing. Never for a moment did I feel like, you know, oh, God isn't here. No, I knew God was with us. I thank God that I realized when I look back, I say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have taught me that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So no matter what voices are raised. We could be bold and decisive. This wasn't a matter of fleeing because no one was pursuing. They were pursuing, you know. I wasn't allowed to leave our room. There was three police there. Everywhere we went, the police went with us. One police car in front, one in the back, and the police in our car. And every, every intersection, there were police and military standing there, you know. You understand. It was, this was real, real, real tension. But never for a moment did I question if God is really with us or not. And I give credit to the revelation that Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Now, of course, if you do something stupid, then you don't do it, then you change. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living an intimidated life where you're scared by everything. You imagine all kinds of enemies. Imagine demons behind every bush, if not in your kitchen. you Imagine all kinds of things. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? And then, it'll be on television a couple of weeks from now. We, we We took a boat ride there on this holy river. We went right to where the rivers meet. You could see it by different colors in the water. The holiest place where they washed from sin. You know there were dead bodies floating there. There was all kinds of other things floating there. And it just, I tell you, I got so fired up. I was so fired up because of the universality of sin awareness, how people are so aware of sin that they will travel and spend their lives earning to bathe in that place. And they will take a bottle like a water or a little, you know, one-gallon container and take the water home and drink it. Because of the hunger for forgiveness of sin. So, you know, the protesters, the letter we got, this was early on in the week. The issue was, after the first night, I brought the people up on the platform who were healed, and then they went really livid. They said, we don't want any healings in the name of Jesus. This was the thing. Anything but the name of Jesus. So this was a continual battle. Thank God we had a huge big screen behind us because they, the police was literally stopping the people who had been healed, literally standing there hand in hand, stopping the people who had been healed from coming to the platform. But you know, there's always a way. Faith finds a way. And so thank God we had the huge screen and we got the microphones in front of people and everybody could see them in an even bigger format because of the big screen, you know. And they were giving testimonies every night and the police didn't know quite what to do. They were with us in one sense. And then one night, a policeman himself got healed. Oh, God. God, I, I hear, I heard he was suspended for a couple of weeks from Java's work, you know, but he got healed and, and, and you know, it was just dramatic. But my point is this, I would, now, I don't want this kind of battle. I don't enjoy it. I only go to these places because, you know, no preachers go there. There are millions of people live in these cities. People don't go there. That's why I'm going there. To make Jesus known, to like the Apostle Paul, where he's not known that he might become known. That's why we do it, but I don't particularly enjoy the fight. But I'm saying to you for sure, if I couldn't give you the testimony that I know that Jesus Christ has become to me righteousness, I would have all kinds of intimidation, all kinds of fear. But that realization, that I have received a righteousness that is not my own. It strengthens me enormously. And I thought I'd just give that testimony today. And you are facing struggles. Everybody does. You're facing uh, challenges in life, in your work, in your business, in, in situations. There'll be a myriad of situations here represented with this crowd that is here right now. So, when we become skilled and allow ourselves to be skilled in the word of righteousness, you will rise up on the inside. Not belligerent, not putting people down, That's that's not what I'm talking about. Not that kind of boldness, but an inner conviction of the reality of God who is in me.